Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. This morning with a headline out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, Good morning to all of you listening on AM 1270. Are they listening in any other way? Maybe they're listening. uh, Oh, yeah. They have an FM signal, too. Oh, what is that? I I need a new sheet. Ah, yeah. Okay. I don't remember the frequency. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Text us if you're uh, you're listening in Sioux Falls. Uh, For those of us who can't remember all of the signals across the country of the Faith Radio Network. Uh, text me at 877-933-2484. Okay, so if you're listening in Sioux Falls, you probably already know this because uh, this is big news, right? Bull riding may be the first pro sport to actually welcome fans back into the stadiums, live crowds, planned for the July 10th through 12th championship bull riding in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I have to tell you, this is uh, is big news, Paul. Really? I'm not, I'm not much involved. Oh, by the way. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm a fan of NASCAR, and it doesn't matter if I'm a fan of bull riding. The fact that um, sports is reemerging, it, it, it's going to give higher profile to those sports that are able to figure out how to bring crowds, uh, live crowds back in, because, you know, frankly, people just want to see something. So there you go. All right. Okay. So, uh, By the way, uh, 107.5 yeah. in Sioux Falls is the uh, FM frequency. That way they won't start adding us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's good. All right. So um, John Krasinski, I've been talking about what he's been doing online, his uh, YouTube channel called Some Good News. Um, Well, the final episode aired on Sunday night. Actually, they're describing it as the final episode for now. Um, So uh, for those of you who have not been following this, John Krasinski started this really um, as a way of delighting his own children and finding a way to engage with them and to get some good news out there into the world in the midst of uh, all of us being at home with, um, you know, frustrated with a lot of bad news. So he had been highlighting these positive news stories during the pandemic in his web show, Some Good News. And Sunday night was the final um, episode of Some Good News, leading some uh, on-air commentators to say, well, that's it. There's no more good news. That's the end of the good news. Let me just go ahead and say, um, that's not the end of the good news by a long shot. And so let's be people of good news today. Uh, Let's be people who have the good news on our lips and uh, certainly in our hearts. So I do have a little good news for you today about the good news. Yesterday afternoon at 2.40 p.m. Central Time, Google Analytics reported the two billionth gospel presentation by Global Media Outreach. So if, uh, if you want to celebrate the two billionth gospel presentation by our friends at GMO, you can do so tonight. Uh, they're doing a Facebook Live at 7 p.m. Central. Thought that might be fun for folks to tune into. It's, uh, it's on Facebook, Global Media Outreach. Um, why do those numbers matter? Because each gospel presentation represents a person. Two billion people, two billion real live image bearers of God have heard the gospel for the first time through this ministry. 
That's really, really cool. So um, when people hear the gospel for the first time, they hear of his love, his grace, God's desire to dwell with them, not only here and now, but forevermore through a restored relationship in Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. And it is, um, it's not only life-changing, it's world-changing. It's history-changing. Um, it changes things. You've heard me say before, Easter changes everything. But a lot of people don't know what Easter is beyond a bunny. So every single one of those numbers, um, 2 billion individuals, uh, is a, those are people. And each person is precious to God. So let's be people who bear the good news of the gospel out today uh, in word and in deed that others may come to know um, the one we know, the real hope of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Mark Caleb Smith waiting right now in the wings with... Um, a tasty Tuesday. He apparently makes things in bunt pans, not only bunt cakes, which we will discuss, but um, savory bunted items. Tasty Tuesday is taking a turn. Mark Caleb Smith up next. We'll be right back. I know it is hard to keep up with the layers of personality of the people who join us here on Mornings with Carmen. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University is not just a professor and he's not just a bow tie wearing guy. He also is the master of the bunt pan. Good morning on this Taste and See Tuesday. I like to call it Tasty Tuesday from time to time. We're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. You ordinarily just join us to talk about the intersection of sort of politics and religion and freedom. Um, but today, I, I want to talk with you about the bunt. The bunt, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if I would say that I'm an expert of the bunt of the bunt. Dude, cake when you start when you start <laughs> posting pictures on Twitter of your bunt of your bunts, <laughs> then you become the bunt guy. Like, right? You're the bow tie guy. I was thinking that in addition to the savory bunt cake style that you posted on May the 14th, That's right. uh, yep. that I would need to ask about last night's posting of the lemon bunt cake in quarantine in your quarantine cuisine series on Twitter. Uh, you know, it's actually been really interesting and, and a lot of fun. We bought a bunt pan recently, as you might guess. Uh, we were trying to think of ways to spice things up a little bit during this pandemic and I decided to try my hand at a couple of bunt things. And, you know, it's it's such an interesting dish and it's easy to work with on the whole. Um, and I thought, you know, I don't want to do something sweet out of the gate. So I tried the savory first and I think it was a great success. I mean, the picture, I think, does it justice to some extent, but it's mostly uh, bacon, cheese, egg and biscuits kind of mixed together. And it's really easy to make. And it actually came out pretty quickly and it was delicious. So the right, savory so was a I... big hit. I'm going to give you one um, one thing to try in your savory recipe the next time. Yes. Frozen tater tots. Frozen mi- tater tots. You mix them in with your egg and meat and cheese, and as they and then it, it slows down the cooking time of the egg, which you really need because you don't want the egg to cook super fast if you're gonna right. if you're gonna have a potato in there or a biscuit. So anyway, it slows the egg cooking time down. And um and then you also you get a tater tot in there, which is not never bad. That's now, never tater bad. tater tots add to everything. Yeah, you can't yeah. everything is everything is better with tater tots. 
pretty much. So there you go. That's, that'll be my uh, that you can try that uh, on your next version of the savory. All right. And then how about the uh, your your uh, your effort last night at the lemon bunt cake? How are you enjoying that this morning with your coffee? Uh, it was, it's actually very good. It's, it kind of turned out like, um, sort of a glazed donut with a lemon cake filling, which is really interesting. (laughs) It was, it's quite delicious. Um, pretty easy to make on the whole, mostly flour, uh, eggs, typical things, and a lot of lemon zest and lemon juice and things like that. But it was, it was delicious and it was fun. And yeah, it's, uh, my kids have all said, make it again, make it again, make it again now. So it's, uh, it's coming again soon, I'm sure. All right, cooking with Caleb, uh, quarantine cuisine on this Taste yep. and See Tuesday. Thank you, sir. Um, now, um, turning to maybe slightly less tasty topics, um, what is Q anon, and uh, why should we care? What is Q anon? That's it's a good question. I mean, Q anon is a basically a conspiracy network of thinking. Uh, that's rooted in a particular person that we think, or maybe it's a group of people who've uh, taken to posting things in various online places over the past three years or so. And it's grown into uh, this pretty significant force in particular parts of American politics. Um, There are a lot of tendrils to it, and we can discuss those tendrils to the extent that you want to. But uh, it, you know, it involves this idea that there's a deep state that's rooted in American government that's sort of operating everything. Uh, this deep state's trying to protect a certain set of elites who are involved in abusive behavior toward children. Um, and that justice is coming for these people. Uh, and it's inevitable justice. And it'll involve the rooting out of these people. Um, Hillary Clinton is prominently mentioned in the QAnon universe. Barack Obama is prominently mentioned. Um, And now with the pandemic, even people like uh, Dr. Fauci and others are prominently mentioned as well as being part of this deep state and part of the need for justice. Um, And it's, you know, it's one of those things that I've kind of been brushing up against every now and then online in various places, uh, but it's gotten a lot more prominent. And I think the the pandemic has sort of brought it to the fore, uh, as well as a a really interesting article that I posted and that you and I uh, interacted a little bit about online yesterday from the Atlantic that deals with this issue. And I think it really peels away a lot of layers and it's, it's a fascinating read and it's very, it's very eye opening. Yeah. Let me just read a couple of sentences um, of that as we go to the break. Um, Because I do think that for people who are listening, when I read these sentences, they're going to say, well, okay, I pretty much believe that. So here you go. You see plague and pestilence sweeping the planet. You understand they are part of a plan. You know that a clash between good and evil cannot be avoided. And you yearn for the great awakening that is coming. Uh, You must be on guard at all times. You must shield your ears from the scorn of the ignorant. You must find those who are like you. And you must be prepared to fight. You know all this because you believe in Q. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. We'll be right back. All right, continuing my conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith, we're talking currently about uh, an article we both read in Atlantic's Shadowlands series. It is about, uh, the Shadowlands series is about um, sort of conspiracy thinking in America. This particular article is entitled The Prophecies of Q, American Conspiracy Theories Are Entering a Dangerous New Phase. Um, And we are, um, we're highlighting this conversation because evangelical Christians 
um, are a part of the conversation. It is an expressly eschatological conversation. The book of Revelation is in play here, the consummation of all things. The question is, are we reading, uh, are we rightly reading the signs of the times in which we live, and are we rightly applying the scriptures to these times? Um, Mark, you're, uh, you're sort of over and under on where we are at the intersection of religion and politics here in this QAnon conversation. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that makes this attractive to so many people, uh, not just the QAnon, but conspiracy thinking in general, um, is that we want an explanation for reality. You know, reality is extremely complicated and it's very frustrating, uh, especially when things like a pandemic are happening and we want to be able to explain things. Um, so Christianity, for example, is attractive to me to some degree because it explains reality for me. Uh, but it explains reality at a very broad level and a very broad scale. Conspiracy theories often try to explain reality uh, even down to minor details about who's doing what and why it's happening. You know, there's fluoride in the water. We need to explain why that's part of a conspiracy. Uh, President Obama is not an American citizen. Let's make that part of a conspiracy as well. Uh, the pandemic you know, discussion that's been going on across evangelicalism and social media over the last several weeks. Well, it helps us understand what's happening right now with the virus. And so it's attractive to be to gravitate toward these things because it helps us fit you know, pieces of a puzzle in place. The danger, I think, is the puzzle pieces don't always fit in place. You know, there's no grand picture always or narrative that explains every piece of the puzzle. And so even though it feels satisfying, it doesn't make it true. Um, and it's, it can be very dangerous, uh, I think, when you start to gravitate toward explanations that start to run into reality and start to conflict with reality. So I'm going to hear a lot, by the way, from some listeners um, who are going to remind me that there is a grand scheme. Uh, the, the enemy is real. Um, the end is coming. There are signs of the times, and we're supposed to be paying attention to those. I think, Mark, one of the challenges that we face is there is there is enough truth here, right? There are enough um, – there is enough in Scripture to to have us understand um, that there is a spiritual battle going on. I think that sure. the challenge that we are faced with right now is we have to be the people who stand up and say, look, the victory has been won. We put all of our confidence in Jesus Christ. He is coming back. This is a redemptive narrative, and you and I do not need to go with our AR-15s to uh, uh, to the pizza shop. <laughs> it's it's a good way to put it, and, and it's it's certainly the point worth highlighting. Um, it's a redemptive narrative, uh, but even that can become difficult when you try to take pieces of reality from today, let's say, and put it into a narrative in the Book of Revelation and claim that you figured it out. Um, Revelation, the book of Revelation, is certainly part of, of God's revelation to us. It's also very difficult to interpret and to explain, uh, and it's complicated. That's one of the reasons why over the history of the church we've disagreed so much on what it means and how to understand it. Um, these kinds of conspiracy theories, they do sometimes incorporate some of those same themes, like justice is coming. Well, you and I both believe that justice is coming, uh, but Scripture doesn't give me a good indication always of when that justice will take place. A conspiracy theory like this one says justice is coming, and then it'll make a prediction about when it's coming and who's going to be brought to justice in particular. So you're right. I mean, there there are certain things here that resonate with evangelicals because it feels like part of a narrative we've been invested in for most of our lives. Uh, but when it starts to get into particulars and it starts to cast certain figures as heroes and villains, 
Uh, and when it starts to explain reality in a way that just doesn't fit uh, with a what, what I would say is a deep understanding of government and how it works, then you should start to question it. Um, you know, we shouldn't take these kinds of things with, at face value, especially when we find them on social media. All right. Now let's pivot and talk about um, Hillary Clinton likening yeah. the protests in Michigan to domestic terrorism, because this is, you know, this is sort of this is fuel right. for the fire. Right. So let's yep. just talk about yep. this. Uh, Hillary Clinton Clinton tweeted on Friday, quote, armed men storming a legislature to disrupt its domestic or democratic uh, proceedings is domestic terrorism. It cannot be tolerated. Unpack this for us. Yeah, it's Hillary Clinton has a history of making these kinds of claims. And let's be clear about it. Uh, in 2015, she called Republicans, she compared them to terrorists uh, as a party. And so she has been known to occasionally use this sort of language. Uh, here she used it in reference, as you said, to people uh, demonstrating against Governor Whitmer's lockdown orders in the state of Michigan. Um, and, you, and what's troubling about this, I think, is it doesn't really fit any reasonable definition of terrorism. There were no arrests made. There was no violence that took place. Um, and these people were engaging in lawful behavior. Uh, they, Michigan is an open carry state. You don't have to have a permit to carry a weapon. And these people were engaged in lawful activity. <clears throat> now, I think you could reasonably argue that they were they were had an implicit threat. You know, a lot of people show up with weapons. There's an implicit threat there, even if it's never followed through. Um, and they certainly wanted to make sure that people were aware uh, that they were armed and that they understood that as part of their messaging. Um, but for, for her to use that kind of language, I think, honestly, is irresponsible. At the same time, and I know people get frustrated when people like me speak on both hands to some extent, if you and I were sitting and talking about a pro-choice rally, let's say, where everyone came armed and stormed a General Assembly meeting here in Columbus, Ohio, and prevented it from meeting, and even though they didn't engage in any illegal activity, I'm guessing the conversation among evangelicals would be that this was disturbing and that it was a show of force. And so we have to be careful that we don't always condone activity, even though it may be towards something that we agree with, um, if it can have bad consequences down the road. Okay, so as we uh, as we enter in more fully into this 2020 campaign cycle, what are your sort of words of encouragement to each of us and all of us, um, just in terms of our own individual engagement in the process? Yeah, I, I, one of the things that I think we want to be known as as believers is that we approach the public square uh, really with the full witness of Christ. And so, yes, I mean, we want to make a difference. We want to uh, be people of consequence. We want to engage the culture. We want to matter. We're called to matter. I don't think it's really an option. Uh, at the same time, we do it with the full witness of Christ. And so we want to be loving. We want to be truthful. We want to be respectful. We want to be humble. Uh, I think you can do all those things and still get involved in this upcoming political season. Uh, the problem is our world is pulling us in so many different directions to act in ways that aren't humble and that aren't gentle and that aren't truthful. Um, and that's where we have to resist. I mean, we can still we can still make a strong stand, even disagree with what government's doing and make that disagreement public. But we can do it while still representing Christ well. And I think that's our challenge. It's going to be our challenge this year, and I think it's our challenge in the near future in American politics. All right. That's Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Caleb Smith. He's a political science professor at Cedarville University, a constitutional gadfly, um, and a baker of bunts. 
Wear a bow ties. Okay, you have to figure out how to get the bow tie pasta or the bow tie something into the bunt. Into the this bunt. Your, All right. This is this is I, the challenge set before you for your I'm quarantine cuisine. All right, get on it, man. Thanks. Thanks as always. Hey. We'll be right back. All right, so um, this summer, some of us are still going to get together. We're just going to do so online. The Northwestern Christian Writers Conference um, is going to happen online, and we really want you to join us. So go to NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. It's still July 24 and 25, um, and you can still do all of the same things that you were going to do. You can just do them at a from home in your pajamas at a reduced uh, cost and more of it because you can now attend all of the sessions, not just the ones that you could like physically be present at. So it's actually a way of like duplicating your presence. If you've ever wanted to be multiple places at one time, this is your opportunity in the digital world. So there you go. Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. Join us at NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. We'll be right back. Second Chronicles 714 reads, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then God says, then, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Would you join millions of Christians around the world, tens of thousands of churches in Unite 714? Not only praying the words of Second Chronicles 7.14, but living into them. That conversation up next with Dino Rizzo, Unite714.com. We'll be right back. What do you think your teens wish that you knew? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I live at a residential counseling center in East Texas, and being surrounded by more than 50 teens gives some great opportunities for conversation. I once asked the kids what they wish their parents knew. One student said, no matter how deep a hole I get into, I didn't want my parents to leave me. Another student said, I wish they knew that their definition of abnormal was my definition of normal. And one more, a teenage boy said to me, just because I don't talk, doesn't mean I don't want to. It's just that I don't know what to say. Maybe it's time you ask your teen that question. What do you wish your parents knew? Find more parenting help from Mark Gregston at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dino Rizzo. Uh, He is a pastor. He is also what I would describe as a guy who works collaboratively with uh, other Christians across the country and around the world to do do good. So, Dino, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you so much, Carmen. It's it's an honor to to have a chat and, and, and to talk about neat things that are happening and we sure, we sure appreciate you guys at, at Faith Radio. You, you guys are awesome. Well, you're so kind. Um, so we're going to talk specifically today about Unite 714, which our listeners can find at Unite714.com. Um, but Dino, d- am I right that you're in the Baton Rouge area? I was in the Baton Rouge area for 
20 years. I'm, I married a Cajun girl, so we, we lived there for a long time. And uh, a, a while back, we, we relocated up to Birmingham, where uh, I was a part of an organization called ARC, ARC, Association of Related Churches. So we, we started that, and then it was in Birmingham. We were in Baton Rouge, so we, we decided to jump up here to Birmingham. We live here now and uh, get to be a part of ARC and get to be a part of a great church, Church of the Highlands. Okay. Oh, I love that. Okay. So Dino Rizzo is uh, talking with us today from Birmingham, Alabama. But we are going to really talk about something that's not just going on here in the United States, but around the world, and it's called Unite 714. So tell us how this started. I understand this basically started in a pastor's phone call. Yeah, just one of one of the guys we respect a, a whole bunch, Pastor Jim LaFoon, who's just really, really serves the body of Christ well. Uh, he just, he's had on his heart for uh, 18 months, even before COVID, that there were just some things that were going to happen. He saw some things as he was in prayer, and when when this began to to come out, he he knew this was it, and he had already talked about it. So he connected with myself and uh, Pastor Chris Hodges and Steve Robinson, and we just talked. And out of Second Chronicles seven fourteen, we began to pray around it. We said, "What would it look like if we did a united prayer initiative? You know, based out of the local church that we prayed the same prayer." We got around the things from all around the globe to engage in this prayer effort, just asking God to do something incredible. And from there, it went from four of us on a phone call to 25 amazing leaders, people that that you guys love and, you know, great pastors around the globe. And it's just kept expanding, kind of connecting and, and being very collaborative with all the prayer initiatives as well as some some great churches and believers. So people are going to love to hear that Christians are working together on something like that, that that right there is going to bring joy to people's hearts um, as we share it with them. So we want people to check out Unite714.com. I think that sometimes, Dino, we have heard this Second Chronicles 714 passage, which I'm going to let you uh, read to people. Uh, we have heard it used in a in a fairly nationalistic way, and that is really not what we're talking about, and that's not what's going on here. So why don't you read Second Chronicles 714 so people understand what the call is, and then we can talk about the global nature of it. Yes, it, it says it, it, in the writing, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, love this, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And you're, you're so right, Carmen. It is a, it is a, a biblical, global, passion, heart of God that gives us a promise when we respond to God with humility and prayer. And I think everybody probably right now needs that. So, Dino, I think I can explore this with you. This feels like the Second Chronicles 7.14 starts with a big if. That is a big if. I think that the, the question of whether or not people are you know, given over to God uh, through Jesus Christ is a big question. This my people, like who, who is that? Called by my name. Who is that? And then this big, this big if of will, like will we, who are called by the name of Christ, will we humble ourselves? That's a big if. Um, And will we pray? And will we seek God's face? And will we turn from our wicked ways? I mean, that's real repentance. Um, So that that all comes at the forefront of this. And I, I would like to highlight that for just a moment before we get to the then portion of God's promise in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I mean, it, it. I think everything boils down to that. It's you know, I mean, John three sixteen is a condition. If 
you know, for God so loved the world that, you know, he forgave. But we, we've got to believe in that. I mean, there's just every every promise in the Bible, all of, you know, God loves humanity. God loves people. But we have to respond to that love. We have to lean into that love through Jesus Christ. So it's it's not as if Second Chronicles 714 is, is is different than anything else. You know, and, and really it, that's marriage, that's parenting, that's life. There's always going to be these conditions of, you know, I'm going to respond, uh, I'm going to lean in, I'm going to, to, to step into something. And I think that's the same invitation. It is, a, you know, the Bible is a book of invitation. God is an inviting God. So he's constantly inviting us into the life that he intends for us. And, and, he, and he paves the way, he, he makes the bridges, he, he, he builds the bridges, he paid for the bridges. All we have to do is step into those things. And I think sometimes we make it harder than it is uh, with just the way we think or the trauma that we've been through or the pain that we've walked through. You know, but God is inviting us to, to seek him, to humble ourselves, to get close to him. And then out of that, he's going to help us. And what Second Chronicles says is he's going to help us in a lot of ways. And I think there's a lot of things that, that we need help as it relates to what's happening around the world right now and the suffering and, and the, the, the things that are going on. Spiritual awakening, of course, is such a part of that. And so, you know, God, God's inviting us. So we, um, we want to encourage people to be praying, and we want to encourage people to be united in prayer. And we are talking today with Dino Rizzo about uh, this effort. Unite714.com is where you can get all of the information um, really about this prayer movement uh, based on or based in the local church, but really desirous to include people of uh, of every place and space and variety of Christianity, right? This is not uh, denominational. It's not nationalistic. This is humble prayer, seeking the face of God, a commitment to repentance, not only in word, but in deed, um, that, that we would really seek God and that we would plead with God to heal um, not only our land, but to heal the earth, that, that his glory would redound um, across the whole earth. So Dino and I are going to take a very brief pause. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. Go ahead and check out what we're talking about at Unite714.com. Continuing my conversation now with Dino Rizzo, we, uh, we're talking about Unite 714. You can check it out at Unite714.com. Uh, let's talk about what people are doing right now in terms of engaging in this, and then let's invite more and more people to get engaged. Yeah, we're, we're, we're encouraging people to, to go to the website. You sign up your church organization or yourself. And then out of that, we've got a great resource. We've been, we, we've got a group of pastors, and again, it's cross-denominational, it's global, um, that are that are all contributing. I think that's important to know. They're contributing to a prayer that we put together, and so you can uh, you can download a prayer that every week we pray. So uh, we're in week nine, and so you could go there right now and download and find next week's prayer, this week's prayer, week nine, and it's in. Uh, these, you know, language translation. So it's there. Uh, and so you can have that. And uh, my goodness, uh, uh, over a dozen translations that it's there. And we're just asking people to pray it. We're asking people to share it uh, in their influence and in their families and with their small groups or their 
their workplace. And so it's a prayer that we're all praying together around a certain theme. And then out of it, we share it. And every week there's a new prayer that churches pray, leaders pray. And uh, it's just been an amazing thing to see how this thing has spread around the globe, every time zone. Goodness, I think it's in about 180 countries right now that churches have signed up, people have signed up. So it's just been a God thing because it's only been, uh, Carmel, like we said, it's only been about nine weeks. All right. I'll say that the map is really cool. If you scroll down on the page, if you scroll down on unite714.com, um, you can actually see the churches that uh, churches and individuals that are engaged around the world. Um, and so, you know, you might be interested to know, where is the church in Mongolia that's in that uh, Ulaanbaatar? That's the <laughs> church in uh, in Mongolia that's participating. What's this church up here? I got a church in Russia that uh, has way too many consonants in its name, so I am not going to try that. But um, we got churches in Iraq, and we've got churches in Saudi Arabia. Some of you are saying, I didn't even know there were churches in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there are um, opportunities for Christians around the globe to engage. This is this is a genuine unity of the Spirit, bond of peace movement. This is a one-blood movement. This is a, This is an opportunity for us to express the unity of believers that Jesus prays for in John chapter 17. So again, we are talking about Unite 714. Uh, You can check it out at unite714.com. We want you to engage with us in this. And I think that, um, Dino, when we talk about what to expect, let me just ask you, when you pray, what do you expect? Well, I I think— a couple, for me personally, and, and and I think around the world, I mean, all these different languages that people are praying in, and every their tongue and their world. I mean, I'm I'm wanting to um, I'm wanting to I'm wanting to be changed. Uh, I'm wanting to be heard, uh, and then I want to listen, and then I, I'm I'm going to trust a sovereign God, and I think that's an important word that I continue to learn about what it means to to serve a sovereign God around the world, that He is going to always do right and he's going to he's going to do what he's promised. So ultimately I want to change. I want to hear, I want to learn, I want to listen. And then I think probably you know when you get up from prayer and I said my prayers this morning, I sat in my little spot and I prayed my prayer and when we get towards the weekend I'll pray the Unite 714 prayer and then I'm going to trust God and and walk in confidence that uh we're going to we're going to be okay. God God's got us and that sounds simple. And uh, but I think we just there comes a point where complex is 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 not winning. I just want to live in the simple faith and trust in Jesus that He's got me and my family. All right, um, I think we're gonna make a list of those. I, I I pray when I pray, I want to be changed. I want to listen and hear and learn. Um, I want to trust God to be God, and then I want to serve Him. I want to serve His sovereign will, walking in confidence. I think those are intensely practical. They're, they're righteous. They're right on. They're biblical. Um, and they're, they're frankly easy for me to sort of ask of myself. Am I entering into this prayer desiring to be changed? Or am I entering into this prayer, you know, to demand something of God as if I'm in a position to do that? Um, and so I think that the, the attitude in which we enter into prayer and then the expectation that God's going to be God. God is going to be God and God is good. Um, and he, he can't help but be God. Like, that's that's who he is. And so um, thank you for that reminder. I'm wondering, 
in the last minute or so that we have, is there something else that you wanted to be sure that you were sharing with people today um, and maybe something specifically about Unite714.com? Yeah, we're pretty excited because we've got some, some uh, something that's right around the corner. It's going to be on Friday the uh, 29th, uh, and it's going to be at 10 a.m. on Facebook Live broadcast on Unite714.com. It's, we're going to be taking leaders from around the world on, you know, that is Pentecost weekend for the Unite 714, and it's a prayer event. So there'll be one hour, some great leaders, uh, my pastor Chris Hodges, Rich and Don Sheree Wilkerson, Brian Houston, Nikki Gumbel, uh, Goodwill Shauna from Zimbabwe, Christine Kane, just some great leaders uh, that are that are going to be sharing with us. Miles McPherson, powerful group of ministry leaders that are going to be praying for an hour over around the different things. Some cool worship with, of course, Elevate and Carrie Job, Cody Carn. So, I think that's going to be awesome. It'll be on some multiple, you know, ex- other media. But uh, one hour of prayer, millions of believers joining together to pray around the world. And so we would love for people to join in with us on May the 29th at 10 a.m. on Facebook Live. We'll push it out on YouTube and some other platforms, but looking forward to it. So all that information is at Unite714.com. And again, thanks a lot. And I think that when we pray, and we're and especially right now, when I mean, prayer is important every day, but even right now with so many people suffering a lot of fear, the, the isolation, the people feel vulnerable, people are struggling with some some things they've never struggled with. And so we're just believing God that through all this, that, that Jesus Christ is going to continue to be lifted up. So that's going to be a great event on that day as we, we do focus prayer all day long. I just love it. Thank you so much, Dino Rizzo. You guys can check it all out and engage at Unite714.com. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm uh, I'm reading on Twitter right now um, that Ravi Zacharias has gone to be with the Lord. Paul, can you um, do a little online research and see if you can verify that? I'll do that. Um, we know that you know we certainly knew that the time was drawing near, but um, if uh, if that be true, then we want to you know we certainly want people to be uh, aware of that. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Um, I want to I want to settle in on the conditional language of this passage of scripture. First of all, let's remember the first audience was Israel, not us. And so when God says if my people, he is uh he is initially talking here to the people of Israel. Uh and so when we consider this passage, we we need to remember the original context even as we seek to apply the principles of it to our own lives as well. The God who spoke these words to the people of Israel has not changed and is unchanging. And so uh, when God says if, we, have to, we need to perk up our ears because there's something conditional coming. Uh, and I think that's a, a significant conversation for us to have with ourselves today. If my people, first of all, are you a part of the people of God? You become a part of the people of God by being adopted into the family of faith through Jesus Christ. And so if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are a part of the people of God. So if my people called by my name, so let's settle in right there for just a moment. Am I hallowing God's name in my life? Am I bearing the name of Christ in the world in a way that Jesus would recognize? 
Um, am I just calling myself a Christian, or am I actually living out the faith in such a way that the one who is the Christ, Jesus himself, would recognize? Because Jesus is really clear. There are people who claim uh, to belong to him who he doesn't even recognize. I, I mean, that's one of the one of the most piercing verses of Scripture. When, when Jesus says, I didn't know you, people are like, well, wait, we did stuff in your name. And he's like, I, I don't know. I never knew you. Who are you? Okay, so if my people, the people who are in Christ and in whom Christ dwells, called by my name, not just called Christians uh, because we self-identify as such, but actually recognizable as Christians, are we hallowing the name of God in the way that we're living our lives? If my people, called by my name, will humble themselves. Now, there's another condition there, will humble themselves. This is not just people who claim uh, humility as, a, as an attribute. These are people who are living out the attribute of humility, a reality of humility, and then will pray, and then will seek my face, and then will repent, turn from their wicked ways. There are a lot of conditions there before you ever get to the then. And the then is I will hear from heaven and I will forgive and I will heal their land. There is no when attached to the then. Please note that. God never promises a when, W-H-E-N, attached to the then. God's moving in his own time according to his own purposes. And we are trusting in him, trusting God to be God. For our part, we are the people of God living in ways that Christ would recognize as worthy of the name of the calling to which we have been called. So let us in all humility pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways that indeed God might hear and forgive and heal our land. Another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.